Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we have guest Anthony Franco. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's built and sold several companies, currently the founder and CEO of MC Squares. Among other things, they make premium reusable whiteboard stickers. They can be found at mcsquares.com, and most of their products can be purchased on Amazon as well. Really enjoyed my conversation with Anthony, and I think you will too. Just want to make sure. How's my, how's my hair? Is it good? <laughs> Is that the joke you tell every time before you start? <laughs> how, how, how'd you how'd you know? Did you talk to somebody? <laughs> Anthony Franco on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Anthony? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Are you in uh, Denver or somewhere in Colorado? So I'm in. Uh, I'm north of Denver, working out of my home office right now, um, trying to still social distance a little bit. Gotcha. And North, by the way, I'm in Northern Colorado. I'm up near Loveland. How about you? Windsor. Oh, okay. So I, I'll go. I could uh, probably throw a rock and hit you. <laughs> oh, well, I should have. Yeah. You know, I'm actually, so I say Loveland, but I'm actually, actually in Johnstown, which is just okay. a little, you probably know right where that's at if you live in Windsor. Yep. Yep. Wow. I didn't know we were that close. We'll have to get together for beers after this or something. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. I actually, by the way, we're recording this on June 2nd. 2020 for those people listening to this maybe a year from now we're uh we're, we're on the back side of the virus situ situation i think anyway but bars and restaurants starting to open speaking of ha having a beer together there's a little tavern right here in uh, johnstown and i actually last friday got to go they opened a buddy of mine called he's like oh my god cassidy's is open meet me down there for a beer <laughs> i was like i was like what really wow yeah let's go <laughs> it's the first that was the first time. How do you drink I, a beer through a mask? Well, they didn't. They didn't make you do it at this place. Uh, there are all these, all the uh, everybody's got different rules floating around right now, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyway, I was just sitting there thinking, wow, like this is the first time I've been around somebody else other than my wife in a public setting, having a beer at a table since like early March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good. Amazing anyway, what you take for granted now. It really is. Then. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, so for the listeners, why don't you just give us, um, you know, a personal overview at the Anthony Franco, uh, Hey, where, where'd you grow up? Tell us a little about your, a little bit about your parents, maybe where you went to school. Give us the personal stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, I went to school in, uh, near LA, um, in a, in a town called Whittier. Um, uh, uh let's see. Uh, I was the, uh, I barely graduated high school. Actually, uh, I was I was the the computer nerd that um, let all of my other studies kind of go by the wayside while I was in the in the in the computer lab just coding away. Ah. Um, and uh, and um, you know graduated, meandered a little bit, uh, started doing some consult computer consulting work for friends and family, and 
And um, that's didn't really how my didn't go to school, didn't go to college. Did, I went for a semester. It just wasn't for me. Gotcha. Um, and uh, um, did a little consulting and then that, that kind of grew and it required me to um, uh, essentially when you become an entrepreneur and um, you have to kind of grow in order to be successful, you have to grow out of that, that computer nerd, you know, wallflower um, personality. And um, people started to become more interesting to me than code. And um, uh, they're a lot harder to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, More complex puzzles. Uh, And so, um, you know, grew up in a a broken family, uh, latchkey kid. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. But back when I was a kid, that was was a term. (laughs) Right. Um, And... uh, and um lived lived with your mom or your dad or who'd you who'd you live, stay with? uh lived with my mom early on but through high school lived with my dad and my stepmom and and uh brothers and sisters and um well, yeah how many, uh, how many how many siblings uh i am the oldest of four uh, uh one oh. brother and two sisters and you were and you're you're telling me you were an introvert in high school oh yeah like i, I well i don't think you you grow out of being an introvert like i'm still an introvert you don't, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that based on, you know, watching. Yeah, mo- a lot of people tell me that. Um, <laughs> look, look it, the, the, the definition of introvert and extrovert isn't whether or not that person's social. It's how does that person recharge? Ooh. So um, if, if, you, if you're a person that, that recharges around other people, you're an extrovert. If you're a person that recharges with alone time, you're an introvert. Ah, and okay. definitely okay. for me, I recharge. Um, I recharge alone. Yeah. If, that, I'm, if I'm around people for too long, I, it, I'm just exhausted. Now living in Colorado, is that recharge alone time like uh, in the mountains and, and, or is it just, what, what does that look like? Uh, I'm, I'm a kind of a homebody. So it's, it's being here at home, sitting on a couch, um, binge watching for an hour. Like the, I'll do that. Or, you know, I, I, I work a lot in front of a screen. So I'm alone quite a bit. Um, just, just um, crunch, crunching through numbers or designing a product or, or, or doing something like that. Yeah. And, and what's home look like for you? Is this by yourself? Are you, you have a family? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, um, married. I have, uh, this is my second marriage. Um, I have two little ones, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, or, I'm sorry, a four-year-old and a two-year-old daughter. Ooh, ooh it's busy. Um, it's your, busy. It's your house. <laughs> yeah. Very, very busy. Yeah. Um, are they going to walk uh, I think in? Are my they wife gonna... is ready for me to leave, though. She's ready for me to get back into the office. Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been it's been kind of bittersweet. It's you know I know a lot of crazy stuffs going on in the world, but it's also been great for me to be able to spend this extra time with my daughters and yeah, you know, make pancakes for the four year old in the morning and yeah. Have it's been, they? It's been uh, an interesting time. Have they crashed any of your Zoom video meetings? Like, have they come in the background here and be like, "Hey, what's up, yeah. Dad?" Yeah, I'm casual about it though. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, they, they have every once in a while. I don't do anything so formal that I'm embarrassed by it. It's just right. I'll put them on my lap and keep going. You know, I, I actually think it's becoming more commonplace. I, I think it's getting a little relaxed. I think people just understand like, hey, I'm doing a Zoom video from home. Like my cat might jump in the background or whatever, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, it, that's, it, that's just part of it. Okay, thanks for, thanks for sharing some of that uh, personal. So, all right. So you started doing <clears throat> computer stuff and you started – consulting started getting some gigs started doing your own thing 
walk us into a couple of, I mean, hell, you've, you've, you've built and sold, sold so many businesses. I, I, I can't even keep up, but walk us through kind of, you know, a few of those, you know, the short story of them and then, and then walk us into, you know, MC squared, obviously. Yeah. So um, as briefly as I can, first company I, I, I founded um, was a consulting firm. Um, and we, we, we did, um, back then the term was rich internet applications for, for small, um, you know, mid-sized companies. Okay. Um, that company was acquired by, and started that in LA, um, out of, uh, I used to work for Warner Brothers feature post-production. I saw that. Um, and, uh, and then started that, that consulting firm with a couple of uh, friends. Um, we were acquired by a incubator called Fast Ideas here in Colorado, uh, born out of Match Logic. Um, it was kind of an aqua hire. Um, they acquired us for our talent and we were building some technology for them. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, worked with them for a bit and then um, started another um, uh, software company that was a, a marketing automation company um, with the same group of guys um, that was Piper Software and, and that was acquired pre-revenue by a, a marketing firm, uh, by a public marketing firm um, in Seattle, um, started another, uh, uh, tech firm. Uh, you may, you may know of it. Um, so when we moved out in Loveland in, into Loveland in 20, in, 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 in the year 2000, uh, we called up Comcast for high speed internet access. And we got laughed at. They didn't, they didn't have it out here. So we started a wireless internet service provider um, that uh, named it Skybeam, and Skybeam uh, sold to a roll-up. Um, and then, um, as Skybeam and Piper Software were being sold, I started another consulting firm that turned out to be the largest uh, uh, user experience agency on the planet. We actually defined the space. Um, it was called Effective UI, and we were acquired by the largest holding firm of uh, marketing agencies. So Ogilvy and Gray and J. Walter Thompson were all sister companies of ours when we were acquired. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, Effective UI allowed me to run. So I did a lot of like executive workshops and brainstorming meetings and, and design meetings and um, discovered that... Uh, that little square whiteboards were the best way to get people's ideas out into, into a meeting room. And that's how MC squares was born. Um, we, we started in, uh, in prototyping in 2013, 2014, really hit the market in 2016 and, um, yeah, and been growing from there. So why don't you give us the, uh, an overview? If you were doing a pitch, right? If you were, if you were doing a VC pitch for MC Squares, can you give us that three to, three to four minute speech, whatever that looks like, the elevator pitch? Yeah, so uh, essentially the, the idea is this. So um, chalkboards, whiteboards have been around for centuries. And there's a reason why when people, you know, if you're in a meeting or in a classroom, the real work gets done when you, when you pick up the dry erase marker. Like that's when the ideas really come to life. Mm. And so we're building essentially 
the next generation of, of dry erase tools for, for those environments. Um, we want, we, we want to be a part of, you know, we're, look, we're, we're not curing cancer. We're not launching rockets to Mars, but we're in the room when those things happen. And we, we want to make, we want to make those brainstorming sessions, um, those learning environments a lot more collaborative. Mm. Um, and so we're building tools around that. And then we have this, this kind of, I would call it an outlier product family, which we call stickies, which are, which are, um, that and something else. <laughs> so stickies are, are essentially, eco, I talked about it in Shark Tank, they're eco-friendly replacements for paper sticky notes. So they help with collaboration, but they're also good just to stick on your fridge to leave your loved one notes and, and label flower containers in your pantry and um, uh, put reminders for yourself on, on, um, on your monitors. Uh, it's kind of funny because I, I was, you know, I went from a, a really cool job in, in uh, working on feature production at Warner Brothers into, I was then a computer nerd for a while, but that became cool. In, in my company at Effective. And then now I'm, you know, people know, that know me from there are like, you're selling whiteboards? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> but really you're an entrepreneur. I mean, really, you're just- yeah. that, I start that's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, <clears throat> did you, I mean, was it, was that the plan? Did you know early on, like, wow, I wanna, I wanna start, build and sell companies or it just, it just kind of happened for you as it moved along? Uh, it's, it, I, I, I'm unemployable. <laughs> so, so it's a, it's a mechanism of survival. I'm a terrible employee. Um, so the only way I can earn a living is by, uh, is by being my own boss, um, or working around people that working with partners that allow me to, um, to do what I'm strong at and then balance me out. It sounds like your strength is, is vision and strategy and getting things started and maybe raising- I struggle with that term vision. Um, are you familiar with the entrepreneurial operating system, the EOS a book no, called tell, Traction? No, tell us. Um, so, so it's, it's a, it's a great book. Actually we run MC squares on it. It's, it's a way to operationalize um, uh, startups. Um, okay. Great, great little book. And so they, they identify two really important um, people in the founding of a company. And that is one is called the visionary, um, which is the person that sees the product is the product person and, and, and maps the product out, thinks about the company in, in visionary terms and the others, the integrator. And that is the person that operationalizes it. And so, um, so I, I definitely test on that visionary side. I just don't, the, the term, um, doesn't resonate. It's not logical enough for me, but it doesn't, re it doesn't, doesn't sink in. Well, um, it makes me sound cooler than I am for sure. Uh, so I, I just, I, I'm just the design guy. That's how I think about it. And the exits that you had, is it because, yeah. is it because you're just starving for something new and you maybe, and you, and you get bored on something or you, or you just saw an opportunity to boredom. exit? Yeah, it's not boredom. It's, um, it's something else. It, it, so, uh, I'm really good at, at, um, at new. So cr solving new problems, creating new categories. Um, uh, um, and, and building. And there is a point at which a company, um, that creative energy becomes destructive. 
Mm. And that's good. That's good, um, for, that's good. That's good for the listeners right there. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. Go down. And that so path. I, I recognize when the companies that, when the companies that I'm in start to tilt into, it needs management and operational infrastructure. Typically when that is, is it's middle management. When you start hiring layers of management, mm-hmm. um, it, you need to be more methodical about how you run things through the company. And I'm not the best, I'm not terrific at that. <laughs> um, and nor do I like it. I don't like managing managers of managers. Um, and so um, it's, it's, it's more when a company becomes less about building and more about incremental operational efficiencies and growth that, um, that I, uh, it's better suited for somebody else to run it. And that's, that's, that's the time at which I recognize I need to exit. Well, Hey, kudos that you recognize that. I mean, do you know how many entrepreneurs and, and founders I've met that, that don't know when to get out of the way, that don't know when to, you know, when it's either outgrown their skill set or, or they don't know when to bring on an operator to help them? In fact, the majority uh, don't yeah. know that. And so yeah. I really respect the fact that you, you see that clearly, you watch for it, you look for it, you make, you make moves based on it. Great. Because uh, that's a big problem with startups, a huge problem. The founders start something, you know, they it's think they know. It's a big ego hit. It's I have a to big say, ego. it's a big yep. ego hit. Yeah. Yep. I, I was just about to go there. It's an ego thing. Like, they just can't get out of their own way. And most of the time, it's ego. Um, and, you know, if they would just realize, like, wow, they started something. They had great vision. They got it going. Awesome job. Um, now, every once in a while, a strategy vision person is also a great day-to-day operator, but most of the time, not. And most of the time it's, it's two different, it's two different skill sets. And so I, yeah. I appreciate the fact yeah. that you recognize that. So yeah. by the way, by the way, uh, tell the listeners. So you were recently on Shark Tank, right? Yes. Squares. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, you know, Hey, I watch that show on a regular basis. So uh, tell us about the experience, man. Get, get, give the listeners a little taste of behind the scenes. Um. Yeah, what a what a roller coaster ride. Um, uh, there is some the the moment that sticks out most in my head is is that moment that you don't see it on camera, but you see those closed doors and those doors open, uh-huh. and you see the see the the entrepreneur walk through. So staring at those doors on the backside is a really interesting moment. You you hear this you hear this you know from the background. Um, this guy going 10, nine, eight, waiting for the doors to open. And you're like, this is going to happen. Like, holy cow. And it's, you had it, not, and you had not met or seen or talked to them before that moment. I figured. No, was, so, so, oh. um, oh. you know, the, reality TV gets a bad rap for a reason. Um, but I have to say for, for the shark tank, um, it, it's, Oh, they they cut out some pieces. I was on I was there for almost an hour pitching to the sharks. So they definitely cut some stuff out. Um, but it's not it's not hour, like you have an hour long segment with me would have been boring anyway. So so um, so they they cut it out for entertainment. But they did. But but it was really. I I have to say it it was true to to what the pitch was. I see. And and one of the things that they they're very clear on is you can't know these the sharks. You can't have had in any interaction with them before you come on set. On set, I, I see. Okay. So um, they they want that they want that first impression to strike them, and and they want to capture it. 
So mm-hmm. no, there, I have. I didn't meet there, any of them beforehand. How about afterwards? Is there like this uh, post meeting where like, okay, man, we shook we shook hands on this verbal deal. Now let's start all the uh, due diligence and blah blah blah. Yeah. So it's 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 starting. Yeah. It, it's it's not immediate. It takes time. Okay. Um, months and months and months. In fact, we ha- still haven't closed our deal with Kevin. And I the see. and the you know our company is a lot different than when I when then I when I filmed. So the terms have changed. Um, I've been able to negotiate better terms for us uh, that that Kevin's been fine with. Um, so gotcha. uh, so it's. Uh, so it is, it is, it is, a, uh, the understanding is that, hey, we may have a little verbal jockeying for the show, but we're not signing documents today, right? I mean, that, is that the well, reality? Well, no, I mean, you, uh, yeah. think of it from, from, from the, the investor's perspective. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's going to yeah. write a $300,000 check I, after an hour of talking well, to a founder? You have yeah, to know if, if, you have to dig deep and know, um, for a sure. lot, it takes a lot of time for them to un- uncover truth in a company. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I always wondered was, did, you know, did they, do they see financials and documents and everything beforehand? But what you're telling me is no. And so all that happens afterwards. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Very, very, very good. Do you get to hang out with these guys and go to dinner with them afterwards? Nope. <laughs> none of that. Not, no. None of that. No. <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, in, in, you know, I, I don't know if it's true, like my, my, the, the, the person that leaned in on mine was Kevin O'Leary, but, um, I, I other sharks may handle it different ways. I just, I don't know. I've, I've interacted with anybody else other than Kevin and Ke- Kevin's team. Well, congratulations on getting, you know, a verbal offer from him. I think it was 300, 300 grand or something like that. Yeah. 300, 300K. Yeah. Will that be your biggest, if, if that goes through, will that be the biggest raise so far or? No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk, can you talk about how many rounds you've had or anything? So, with, with uh, so I am the, by far the biggest investor in the company. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I've raised a little bit of cash from angel investors here in, in Colorado, Rockies Venture Club and Coco Pelli Capital. Um, and Denver Angels have all leaned in on the company. Good for you. And, and um, in fact, in fact, I think we have a, a a friend over at Rocky Ventures Club, and that's how we got connected. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And right. Um, and then uh, I've done a small Reg CF round, regulation uh, crowdfunding round. Okay. Um, hoping to launch one more um, in July. Um, we'll see. That lots of lots of question marks around that. So, um, okay. So, so still, yeah, so, so outside, still, definitely outside, this is the first company that where I have raised outside capital, all the others were, were bootstrapped. Really? Okay. First, yeah. first experience raising outside cash. Okay. Yeah. Didn't know that. Um, and can you tell us how much you've put in and raised so far total or no? Uh, so total it's close to, there's two close to $2 million in the company. Okay. And you, you aren't pre-revenue. I mean, you do have revenue. you you have sales. Oh, yeah. Right now. Can you can you yeah. talk to us about your projected sales this year? So we're we're projecting between three and four million in revenue this year. Nice. Uh, um, uh, and we we could be profitable, um, but but I'm trying to grow. We, I want to grow it big, so we're pouring every dollar and then some back into sales and marketing and product product development and IP. So. And IP. I um, see. So I, I'm, 
I'm targeting, I want to, I want to grow this to, you know, eight figure, eight figure revenue, um, revenues before we exit. The 3 million that you're going to hit this year, how much of that is Amazon? I'm just curious, but what percentage? Half of it will be Amazon. A little less than half of it will be Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Amazon's Um, a beast. They're very complicated. Great as a buyer, as a consumer, I love them. As a seller, not so much. (laughs) Uh, By the way, all this product or a lot of this product is you got patents around this stuff. I mean, can people copy you? Talk to me about the competition. Yeah. So competition is always a thing, (laughs) even if you have patents. So a lot of the products we have are patented or patent pending. Okay. Um, That doesn't prevent copycats from coming out. uh, uh, we manufacture everything ourselves in Denver. Um, so we, we have a competitive advantage there for being, being able to be nimble that most people, that most companies don't, um, especially if you're outsourcing your manufacturing. Um, and the, the, I think the true value that we're building in the company is the brand itself and the breadth of products that we have. So we're not a single product company. We are, a, a bunch of products that suit different and various needs. So if you come to our website, you'll find something that matters to you. I'm sure that was an attraction for Mr. Wonderful, right? The fact that you have the brand and multiple. Yeah. Items. And it, it was, it was bluntly was um, part of the reason why the other sharks like Lori and Barbara and Rohan didn't, didn't lean in. Cause it was, it was a little too much for the tank mm. to look uh, at our breadth of product line. Um, uh, they were like, Whoa, this is a lot. Um, and uh and so looking back, if I had gone in with just like our stickies product, just that, talked about just that, mm-hmm. I probably would have gotten offers from everybody. But because I went in with our, our, our depth of products, it was, mm-hmm. it was overwhelming, which is gotcha. a problem for us uh, from a marketing perspective. It's like describing what we do um, to customers that are hitting our website is a complicated task because we have so many different SKUs. I would agree with that. I mean, I, you know, obviously I did a bunch of homework on you before the podcast. And at first my immediate impression was, Oh, it's those things that like they replace sticky notes and I can stick them somewhere and I can, and I can write stuff on them. And then as I started going deeper, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. I got a bunch of other stuff on here too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But I I think that's attractive for investors. I I think a line of products, obviously. Right. I mean, you can just, you can scale up to a much, much, much bigger number. I don't know if there's a, I have a value judgment one way or the other, like single product companies can do really well as well. Uh, and, and they're simpler to run. <laughs> that is how, true. How many employees do you have right now? Uh, gosh, we're at 12 now. So what do you have? Like a little sales marketing and accounting office up in Northern Colorado. And then the manufacturing is all outsourced in Denver. Is that the deal? No, we, so we do all the manufacturing ourselves. So it's not outsourced. I, um, oh, okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so we have a shop in Denver uh, and everything runs out of there. Um, okay. uh, sales and marketing right now are working from home, but nor, but we're all missing each other. Like we want to, we can't wait to get back into the office. Right. We're actually, um, really close in, in grabbing a new space. That's going to be bigger. So in we Denver? can expand uh, just North of Denver in Thornton. I was going to say driving from yeah. driving from where you're at in Windsor to Denver. That's a, that's a pain. That's not that bad. I I grew up in LA, so oh, a forty-five right. minute commute is nothing. Is nothing. Yeah. By the way, how'd you uh, growing up in LA? How'd you pick Windsor? How'd that happen? 
Uh, so long road um, to Windsor. Um, uh, we wound up here because my wife's family lives in Loveland. I see. And we, I used to live in Broomfield and um, we were looking to, to relocate a little closer to my wife's family when we had our kids. So I see. Uh, Windsor it was. I see. How'd you meet your wife? Um, so in Loveland, there's a restaurant called The Poor House. I know right where it's, I've been there several times. Um, I started The Poor House. You, oh, that uh, was yours? You were a founder? Yeah, that was, that was mine. Uh, it was a hobby business as I was going through my divorce. Um, I started that business to kind of distract me from, uh, from, uh, from the other, from others' life's woes. And um, so I uh, <laughs> went through my divorce and, um, and was still running it uh, as a hobby again. Um, and my wife and her sister walked in the front door and I just happened to be playing host and sat them and, and bought them a bought uh, them. They looked like they were a very serious conversation and bought them a beer battered deep fried chocolate chip cookie and, <laughs> and <the rest laughs> I love that. By the way, you're the only guy I've ever met that said, Hey, while I was going through a divorce, which is a scary, messy, painful thing for most people, while I was doing that, I decided to start a restaurant, which by the way, it has a 90% failure rate for most people that try to start that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was truly a place to spend my time. So I wasn't sitting at home crying. <laughs> that was, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you uh, exited that too? Yeah, yeah. Sold it to the current yeah. owner who was, who was my head cook, uh, Chris. Really? He's an awesome dude. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You have He's done doing really so, well. You have done so many things and you've had so many exits. Can you give, there's a lot of people that listen to our show, a lot, of, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs or maybe an entrepreneur that's tried something and failed. If you had to give you know, some general, general advice uh, for any entrepreneurs listening right now, you know, wh what are some things you would tell them uh, uh, about getting started and, and how you were successful early? What are, what are a few pieces of advice you'd share? So um, look, on paper, there, is, there isn't a startup that should succeed. On paper, you have no shot at winning. Um, and, I know it, and the stats prove that out too, right? So, right, absolutely. But, um, but, but there, there is something that your company has that your competitors don't. And, and, and that's you. And, and, and for the same reason why I don't like being in big companies, big companies uh, I'm not good in. Um, generally speaking, people like me aren't good in because um, we are disruptive. And so the only shot we have at being successful is being disruptive in our own thing. Mm -hmm. So don't, so I guess my advice would be your strength is the fact that you're not big. Your strength is the fact that you disrupt mm, and, and that you have grit and um, uh, and that you have an appetite for risk. Um, and, um, and so don't believe that doing it the way your big company does, a big company does is the right way. It's not the right way. And the people that you bring on will tell you that you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. If you were a big company, you're probably going to be doing it right because you're a small company because you're caring about different things. So, um, that that's usually the first piece of advice I give entrepreneurs when they're asking me as they're starting out. It's like, yeah, be very careful about 
doing things right or being told to do things right. Uh, because the companies that do things right aren't doing what you're doing or it shouldn't what, be anyway. What is the biggest uh, risk you've taken or maybe the scariest moment? Can you describe, you know, all these things you've started? Is there uh, the, one or well, the, the scariest moment in my in my career was the moment before the Shark Tank doors opened. That's easy. So look, you know, they, 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 you're either on Shark Tank, you're either the, the hero, the fool or the victim or the villain. Mm. And you don't know how you're going to come across on camera until it's edited and you see the episode. I thought you were were great. I thought you were great. So, (laughs) well, um, my friends tell, told me that I came across like myself. So that, that's, that's as good as you can hope for. Um, that, yeah, that, no, that, that really uh, is. So, uh, you know, you're wondering, uh, the biggest risk is being played the fool. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that was a huge risk. Very scary. Um, and, and, and all the money you've put in so far, right? Because I think you, you've put more money into this than you did anything else personally. Sounds like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how, yeah how manufacturing do- is expensive. And how'd your wife, uh, you know, how, how did she react? And you said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to put a ton of our money into this thing. Um, <laughs> my, my wife is risk adverse. It drives her nuts. It really? drives her nuts. Really? There's, tr- there's definite trust there, but it's also goes against her grain. <laughs> so, um, so we have conversations about it every once in a while. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. How about this? How about this? couple of pieces of advice for, early slash first time CEOs, somebody that had an idea, they started a company, poof, all of a sudden they have 10 employees and they're like, Oh shit, I got 10 employees and now I'm a CEO and I have no training around that whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. So this, this is such a personal advice. Um, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's because it's so individual. It's basically what your strengths are. Um, I guess the best piece of advice is really know yourself. Mm, That's good. Really know yourself and be um, very open to being, um, let me back up. In your company, you matter the least. Mm, That's good. Um, and so if you're in it for um, feeling good about the decisions you make and being right, you're, um, you're going to fail. So uh, the, the number one failure of most companies is the entrepreneur believing that they're right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so you have to be wrong way more than you're right. So get at, it's, an ego, it's an ego thing again. Your ego is going to cause you failure. So be very comfortable with, with having your pride damaged constantly. Um, (laughs) I like that. That's the best piece of like very generic um, advice. I I like that. Uh, Another topic, you know, on the Rider Flex podcast, we have a lot of job interviewing tips and career advice. And you've now hired a bunch of people for several different companies. Any tips on, for candidates interviewing for a job at MC Squares, you know, what, what, what do you look for? What are you looking for in the interview and what kind of tips would you give people? I hate, 
I'm sorry, but I hate interview tips. <laughs> like, be yourself. Like, that's you, it. Be, I, I like be that. Yourself. I like that. That is a um, tip. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it like, don't. Don't fake it. Don't you try, try to, to be somebody. If you try to be the person you think they want, you're going to hate the job. <laughs> love and it. You're not going to do well in the job. Love it. Love it. Great advice. Great advice. So when you interview people now, you, it's just kind of a flow. You don't have like a checklist or anything in front of you, I'm guessing. Uh, so I, it's a team effort. Um, Kristen, who runs marketing for us, has, a, has like a process and she has things that she wants people to ask, which is very, very valuable. Yeah. Um, Ian, Ian, who runs operations, is also kind of process oriented. I get a feel for somebody and I view my job as trying to talk people out of taking the job like are you because we're a startup it's risky right taking the job is risky um and and warning people what the job looks like mm -hmm. and if they still want to work for us i'm like that's kind of good that's kind of like good enough for me <laughs> <laughs> um uh you know skills matter but culture culture fit and attitude matter more i could yeah. not agree more what is your culture what is the company culture in a sentence or two um Assume, we all assume good intentions from one another and um, tend to hire people that are um, optimistic and like people. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Sounds good. I got a couple of more wrap-up questions here for you. I know we're okay. almost out of time. There's two more wrap-ups. So you've been really congratulations by the way on your career so far <laughs> and the company's i'm not over so it doesn't feel congratulate it's not done i, I don't feel done <laughs> yet so congratulations aren't appropriate <laughs> i i love your energy and the thing you know the fact that you you have this entrepreneurial bug and spirit about you that's um contagious uh, i love that <laughs> one of the biggest things you said on the interview so far is that hey i know what i'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I know when to get out of the way and let other people do things. I love that about your, your personality and style. And I'm sure that's a huge reason why you've been successful with your teams. Um, cu couple of, you know, summary questions here. If you had to, if you could call the 18 year old Anthony coming out of that LA area high school and tell him anything today, what would you tell him? Um, So it's funny as, as you get older, you become more comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. I, I get, I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd ruin it for him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if I'd spoil any of it. Like, you know, a lot of the things that I've learned, I've had to learn through experience, not through advice. So I don't know if I would have listened to myself. Okay. I, I guess I would have just, the only thing I would have said is, you know, um you you're headed in the right direction like it's the, the journey the i'm in it for the journey like i don't know if I, I i'm giving you a lame answer but i don't know what i would tell myself because all the really bad mistakes i made taught me something <laughs> mm -hmm. and right. and so i don't know if i would try to steer myself clear of those because they were they were important lessons to learn well, one of the things you just touched on there is it's, it's about the journey. I'm the same. I, I, I've met so many people that think, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, if I can just get to here, if I, can just, if I can just get this, if I can just accomplish that, if I can get to this point, or if I can get, you know, and they, and they think once they get to this mark that 
then, you know, they're done or life's going to be great or it's all going to be perfect. And it never is. Uh, and if they would just realize that it is about the journey um, and when you reach certain marks, you're just moving on down the path, you know, and it's the journey over, overall. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's there, good advice. There is, no, there is no plateau at which somebody is satisfied. I agree. There is no, you know, yeah. it's also good advice for when you're hiring people that, that um, it was a frustration of my, uh, of my former business partner because um, he, we're still really good friends. He would be very frustrated with, look, I've hired you for this. You, you're really good at this. Why are you trying to grow? Like, why you, why aren't you just happy in this thing that you're in? And, and that's a really good lesson for everybody. Like nobody is, is happy with the step. Well, I shouldn't no, say no, most, most people, you, right? Most people are not, especially <laughs> entrepreneurial people. You're not happy with the status quo. You get to that's a right. place and you're like, okay, this isn't what I thought it was. I need to, I need to continue to grow. And most people are like that. I agree. Um, so it's not just about the journey. It's like recognizing the fact that you're never going to be satisfied. And so try to enjoy it all along the way. Yeah. In fact, when I meet those people that are just perfectly content and never want to move down the path, I'm, I'm always amazed by them. There's not very many, but I do meet them. Um, one more, one, one more yeah. question. If you had to put your core purpose in life now at this stage in your life, if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence or two, and I asked you to push that away from your, your wife and two daughters. And so let's, let's set them aside and just assume that they're the, that they are, you know, they are the core purpose. Aside from that, how would you describe Anthony's core purpose in life right now? Building cool stuff. Building, I, I, which is yeah. I, building cool, that's companies, products, jobs, uh, um, my core purpose is I'm a builder. Isn't it? Don't you get a huge emotional reward? Isn't it just great to know that you sold that restaurant to your, to your chef and you built these other companies that, that put employees to work and allowed other people to buy those companies. I mean, is that, is that the biggest reward for you is seeing that you've, you've produced these things that made a difference in people's lives. I mean, that's gotta be huge. That. Um, I, I've never thought about it on those terms. Yeah. But you have, but you have my friend, just so you know, you're, <clears throat> as you're, as you, as you're building these things, you're, you're, you're creating opportunities for people that are changing their lives and helping the economy. So kudos, my friend, congrats. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your story and, and, your, me. and your advice. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.